Hello and welcome to this edition of the NeuroPharm Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colby Burns, Dr. Pharmacy. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Chris Tony, Dr. Pharmacy. There's over 4 million podcasts in the United States, but we're certainly glad you're choosing to listen to this one. And we hope we can provide some information and education around the field of alternative mental health and psychedelic science and inspire hope for those with mental health challenges looking for alternative remedies. Today, we are going to be talking about Mad Honey, as promised previously, um, but some news to catch up on is it's been a bit of time since our last episode of the podcast, besides the interview we had um, with Jeff Stevens uh, with Psyched Wellness, but Chris and I, we haven't done a scientific podcast in a while, so I do want to catch up on some news. Um, October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I just want to take the time to acknowledge the tremendous bravery of those who have survived breast cancer or are going through the battle now. Um, my sister-in-law, Kelly, is a breast cancer survivor. I'm just inspired every day by her courage and perseverance, as well as other people who fought this disease and those on the front lines of research and treatment. Yeah, and it's also National Pharmacist Month. Uh, October every year is... National Pharmacist Month, and the tagline is to know your medicine, know your pharmacist. I think we do a, a pretty good job here, Colby, trying to educate people on the safe use of medications. So hopefully people appreciate it. Yeah, and support your local pharmacy to your independent pharmacy. How about that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's an article that was shared with me on the cost effectiveness of psilocybin therapy. Uh, hopefully be meeting with the psilocybin facilitator in the upcoming weeks. So this could be a good introduction for that. Uh, it's a cost analysis study, so it is a little bit challenging to read for those who've never read a cost analysis or pharmacoeconomics study. It's also published in the UK, so everything's in pounds. But essentially, the article showed that there's improvement in quality adjusted life years uh, in patients treated with psilocybin assisted therapy compared to standard pharmacotherapy with SSRIs and uh, SNRIs and prescription antidepressants or antipsychotics. Uh, I'm going to post a link in the comments for those interested in reading. I also recently discovered uh, there is a phase two study on MDMA for social anxiety disorder that is being conducted at Cascade Psychedelic Medicine in Portland, Oregon by Dr. Marr. I'm going to post a link for those who want to know more about this or maybe interested in participating. It does look like it's open enrollment um, for those who maybe are in the Portland area and fit the criteria and want to join the study. Again, I'll post a link in the comments about that. And another piece of news I missed from August uh, that we missed, I guess, in the podcast and didn't talk about was the Department of Health and Human Services, following a year-long investigation ordered by President Joe Biden, recommended to move cannabis from a Schedule One drug to a Schedule Three drug. Uh, this would mean moving the drug from a category of no recognized potential for medical use and a high risk of abuse to a category of low to moderate potential for physical and psychological dependence alongside benzodiazepine drugs like lorazepam and diazepam. Uh, it would also make access to funding much easier for cannabis companies uh, for both research and product development as now a lot of it is cash-based business and difficult to secure loans and insurance because of the federal legal status. Uh, no change yet on DEA guidelines. They will have their final review. They'll have to perform their own review and have the final say. 
Uh, but there is some speculation now that cannabis could be rescheduled prior to the 2024 presidential election. Uh, we'll see about that. I know when George was here on the podcast, George Selhorn expressed a lot of skepticism that cannabis would ever be sort of rescheduled, but it appears to be there's some momentum towards it maybe. And then just on Tuesday of this last week, October 18th, uh, Dr. Roland Griffiths, one of the pioneers of psychedelic research at John Hopkins University, passed away. Yeah, and remember, he was he was one of the pioneers that you know started psilocybin research again. Um, and there's you know about two decades of research uh, with psilocybin that was basically pioneered by Dr. Roland Griffiths and. Uh, before his passing, he did set up an endowment fund to make sure that uh, psilocybin was uh, studied even after his passing. He wanted to make sure that uh, people uh, continue to study psilocybin for its potential to, you know, create mystical experiences. Um, and he believes that he believed that that was uh, one of the most profound experiences that someone could have. Um, so hopefully that research continues and there's uh, continued progress with psilocybin. Yeah, we thank Dr. Griffiths for all his work and uh, take a moment of silence to acknowledge his passing. All right. Well, today, uh, as I promised, we are talking about Mad Honey, which is produced by bees that pollinate a type of rhododendron flowers that contain granotoxins. Um, this is not to be confused with the 2022 novel Mad Honey by Jody Picoult and Jennifer Finney Bolin, which has been described as a soul-stirring novel about what we choose to keep from our past and what we choose to leave behind. Uh, if you saw the title of the podcast and we're hoping for a discussion on the novel Mad Honey, I'm sorry, this is not the right place for that discussion. Um, it looks like it's an interesting book uh, to read, but we're talking about the Mad Honey today that comes from bees and has been known to generate some unusual effects on the user. Um, Grayanotoxins are a neurotoxin, a polyhydroxylated cyclic diterpene um, named after Leucothoi grayana, a plant native to Japan, originally named for 19th century botanist Asa Gray, not for the color gray, uh, stated in some sources, is named after Asa Gray, the botanist. Grayanotoxins are produced by rhododendron species and other plants in the family Eraceae, which includes the heather family. According to Suleiman Taruti, a doctor at the Karendes Technical University School of Medicine in Turkey, there are more than 700 species of rhododendron in the world, but only two or three of them contain grayanotoxins in their nectar. So again, why do other rhododendrons not produce grayanotoxin? Um, Chris and I were discussing before recording. I have no idea, but so far we've only found that they exist in these three rhododendron species. Um, and the three species that contain significant amounts of granotoxin are Rhododendron ponticum, uh, Rhododendron flavum, and Rhododendron luteum that are most uh, commonly found in Nepal and regions of Turkey bordering the Black Sea. Nearly all parts of these plants contain granotoxin, uh, including the stems, leaves, flower pollen, and the nectar. And they're also found in 
secondary plant products such as mad honey uh, and labrador tea um, is his name for a flower similar to rhododendron as well as some cigarettes and herbal medications so there there are 25 different types of granotoxin isoforms that have been identified from rhododendron species one in three are the primary toxic isoforms but Different rhododendron species contain multiple different isoforms, which contribute diff to differences in plant toxicity. The toxicity of uh, granotoxins comes from their ability to interfere with voltage-gated sodium channels, leading to overstimulation of the central nervous system. The most common clinical symptoms of granotoxin poisoning include nausea, vomiting, low blood pressure, bradycardia or slow heart rate um, or bradyarrhythmias um, or complete AV block in severe cases. Double or blurred vision, hypersalivation, excessive perspiration, weakness and paresthesias in the extremities and ataxia may also occur. Atropine can be used to treat bradycardia and other heart rhythm disorders and the administration of fluids and vasopressors can mitigate other symptoms. Most patients recover within a few hours, but in severe cases, symptoms can persist for 24 hours or longer. Uh, no fatalities from toxicity have been reported in modern medical literature. The exact amount of mad honey that a person needs to consume to become intoxicated seems to depend on both the amount of granotoxin present in the honey uh, which is higher in the spring uh, than in the summer, and also on the characteristics of the individual. Although the minimum toxic level may vary, an article from Dr. Ozan in the British Medical Journal hypothesized that as little as one teaspoon or 15 to 30 grams of mad honey can lead to intoxication. Um, it does have a bitter taste, and it may irritate the throat as well. This is according to David Capara. He's a producer for Vice who traveled to Nepal to join the Mad Honey Hunters on a harvesting expedition. And if you ever see these guys, they literally climb these huge mountains or these large rocks to find the, uh, the hives that have the Mad Honey in it. So it's a very dangerous expedition. So he says, I ate two teaspoons, and <clears throat> which is the amount that's recommended by the honey hunters. And after 15 minutes, I started to feel a high similar to weed. I felt like my body was cooling down, starting from the back of my head and down through my torso. A deep, icy hot feeling settled in my stomach and lasted for several hours. The honey was delicious, and though a few of the hunters passed out from eating a bit too much, no one suffered from the projectile vomiting or explosive diarrhea that I'd been warned about. Within 40-ish minutes, I could feel the honey creeping up on me. The back of my head started to tingle like I was getting a scalp massage. Then from within, I felt a warmth around my heart and my chest and abdomen. Things slowed down a little, and my state of mind became tranquil. By the time we left the restaurant, I was feeling good and strange. There are no visuals, though. The high is very much a bodily one, 
and a mental one. A warm and relaxed sensation, more like a sedative than your conventional psychedelic. So the most common cause of granotoxin poisoning uh, in humans is, is via ingestion of mad honey. Uh, it's been cited that most poisoning cases are actually due to uh, middle-aged men who use mad honey for its perceived ability to cause sexual enhancement, uh, which we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, in Nepal, mad honey is used by the Gurung people for its hallucinogenic properties and for its proposed medicinal benefits. And in Turkey, mad honey is known as Dalbal, um, and it's used as a recreational drug and traditional medicine. Again, while the nectar of rhododendron plants are most commonly used as a source for mad honey production in Turkey, uh, honey produced from the nectar of Andromeda polyfolia can be used to produce a more potent mad honey um, that can cause full body and diaphragm paralysis. And honey from spoonwood, sheave laurel, or Lestra melita Lamau uh, can also cause illness. The intoxicating effects of mad honey have actually been known for thousands of years, dating back to the days of Pliny the Elder. King Mithridates, the ruler of Pontus, is said to have used mad honey as a deliberate poison when Pompey the Great's Roman Empire attacked in 69 BC. Uh, Mithridates' army attacked as the Roman soldiers became delirious from the honey and uh, you know, did a lot of damage to the Roman army and helped propel them. If you're one of those people who are listening and you're into the TikTok challenge of how many times a day men are thinking about the Roman Empire, well, I guess just thought about it. Uh, do you think about the Roman Empire a lot, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, personally, not too much. Um, but, you know, whenever it's uh, usually whenever it's mentioned, I'll think about it. But I don't I don't find myself romanticizing about the Roman Empire very much. How about uh, you? I, I don't either. I guess there's some challenge that uh, girlfriends are supposed to ask their boyfriends about how often they're thinking about the Roman Empire on a daily basis. Uh, if you've read about this, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't spend much time thinking about it, but I guess something about the Romans or symbols of masculinity or, is what I've heard described as, but. Uh, wow. They, they had a strong army. I know that. Yes. I guess they had a strong <laughs> army and, you know, a lot of fighting and, men were conscripted and I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting enough topic. Mm -hmm. uh, but mad honey does not seem to affect bees or their larvae. Um, and they actually show no intoxication from granotoxins. So, you know, that's partially why um, bees aren't affected. Maybe that's a question my have listened to this. What about health benefits from mad honey? Since we talked about the toxic effects of mad honey, um, I'll have Chris go and talk about that. Yeah, so mad honey is proposed to be uh, used as a sexual stimulant uh, used for GI disorders such as peptic ulcer disease, uh, dyspepsia, gastritis, and for hypertension. Um, honey itself contains 180 individual components, including electrolytes such as potassium and magnesium. It contains sugars, amino acids, and antioxidants. Uh, such as polyphenols and antimicrobial components such as hydrogen peroxide. 
Um, honey has been used as a folk medicine dating back to 2000 BC, um, being used for the relief of cough and colds. And if you ever look uh, for uh, kids' cough syrups, you'll notice that uh, there's a lot of cough syrups like Zarbies um, that contain honey uh, for its ability to help with the cough. Uh, it's used for wound healing uh, with its antibacterial, antimicrobial properties, diabetes, hypertension, menopausal symptoms, gastritis, and ulcers. Honey is also a pre prebiotic, like we said, uh, also used for sexual stimulation. Uh, mad honey, in theory, it could be used for uh, all the same indications. The best clinical evidence for the use of Honey medicinally is for uh, shortening the time to wound healings for simple wounds, burn wounds, diabetic foot ulcers. Uh, it is rated as possibly effective in the Natural Medicines Comprehensive Database uh, for each of these uses. Um, it's also known to be both cardioprotective and hepatoprotective, and it has broad spectrum antimicrobial properties against viruses, fungi, and bacteria. Uh, and it has anti-diabetic and anti-hypertensive effects. Um, in vitro studies of various honeys have reported that they can inhibit the growth of uh, Staph aureus, including methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, uh, E. coli, including the nasty extended beta-lactamase strains, and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Uh, it also reduces levels of inflammatory proteins, such as TNF-alpha, interleukin-6, and uh, CRP. Yeah, so honey, you know, has some perceived benefits uh, in the body and in vitro, but not a ton of clinical data and actual trials, but we know that how it works a little bit intracellularly. Um, the effect of honey or in particular granotoxin honey as a sexual stimulant or male fertility treatment though is more unclear. Uh, it is becoming more popular for the use of a sexual stimulation or ED in men. Uh, in the years 2003 and 2004 alone, South Korea, which actually has usually really strict anti-drug laws, imported over 8,000 kilograms of mad honey from Nepal. Uh, further importation was then banned by the Korean government, but its consumption for in men for sexual enhancement occurs with several um, Asian countries, in particular, with several hundred cases of reported poisonings occurring since 2010. Uh, reports of toxicity are common enough that you know it's been suggested the ER providers should screen for granotoxin toxicity in any middle-aged man who presents with symptoms of bradycardia or uh, slowed heart rate and hypotension or low blood pressure. There is no clinical evidence to suggest that mad honey is useful for infertility, especially if given orally. The only preclinical study I could locate involving the use of honey for infertility involved a 10 milliliter combination of various honey products used intravaginally in biological women before or after each act of coitus beginning one day after a woman's last menstruation and continuing for three menstrual cycles or until pregnancy. Um, using the honey uh, mixture increased pregnancy rates from 
3% to 8% when compared to standard uh, acts of sex without using honey in couples having difficulty becoming pregnant due to male asthenospermia or poor sperm motility. Notice uh, none of this has to do though with the treatment of ED or you know male enhancement if we're talking about female infertility, which seems to be the treatment for this, um, or, you know, to increase sperm motility for the act of wanting to conceive a baby. Again, not the same indication as for ED, which uh, is the main reason men seem to be doing it. And I just, I, I did not find anything at all clinically to support that indication. It seems to be the most common use right now of mad honey uh, internationally. So unlike with many other substances we've discussed in this podcast in the past, Mad Honey is legal to purchase and consume in the United States as well as in Canada. Mad Honey, in fact, uh, may even be produced in the United States in the spring by bees in the Appalachian Mountains that pollinate rhododendrons, as well as Calmia latifolia, or mountain laurel, and Calmia augustifolia, or sheep laurel. There are stories of Union soldiers in the Civil War who consumed mad honey while on patrol and became ill. Um, you know, maybe the Confederate Army took a lesson from the Persians in poisoning the invading forces deliberately, um, you know, taking them out of combat, essentially. As a reminder, mad honey is not considered safe to be used in pregnancy. Um, honey itself may contain Clostridium botulinum spores that can be harmful in kids less than 12 months old. Uh, and mad honey also is probably harmful to pets and should be avoided. Just don't have a lot of information on that. There's another type of mad honey out there that comes from New Zealand, and it's called tutin honey because it contains the neurotoxin tutin that's found in the Coraria species of shrub. There was actually an outbreak of poisoning due to honey that was contaminated with tutin in New Zealand in 2008 uh, that infected 22 people. Symptoms of Teuton honey poisoning are generally similar to those uh, of mad honey that's found in Europe and Asia. Uh, people experience vomiting, delirium, seizures, and coma. Uh, but the mechanism of action of Teuton honey poisoning uh, occurs via glycine receptors. And so glycine is one of the main inhibitory neurotransmitters in the body, and Teuton uh, outcompetes glycine for the receptor and causes the neurons in the brain uh, and the glycine region to fire uncontrollably. Um, the mechanism of action with tutin honey poisoning is the same as with rat poison, strychnine, and it can be fatal to both humans and other animal species. A treatment of toxicity includes the use of anti-seizure drugs like phenobarbital or other barbiturates. I haven't read any reports myself of tutin honey being consumed as a hallucinogen, it appears it's strictly poisonous to both humans as well as other animals like sheep and cattle. Um, and they do have reports of farmers and ranchers losing their cattle to and sheep to toot and honey uh, in the spring. And the risk of poisoning really peaks between January and April, which is the dry season in New Zealand, where other food sources for bees besides um, the particular shrub producing tootin are just not available. Uh, New Zealand and Australia food standards code set the maximum allowable level for tutin at 0.7 milligram per kilogram for both honey and comb. And all beekeepers must take steps to comply with this limit. So 
regulatory authorities actually take Teuton poisoning pretty seriously, and they do require testing of honey from regions that are known to have um, issues with Teuton poisoning to try to prevent future outbreaks like the one that took place in 2008. So it's not just in Australia where everything is trying to kill you, I suppose. New Zealand is just as dangerous. That's the lesson I learned from that. <laughs> uh, you know, I just thought with Mad Honey that I, I'm not quite sure why people are taking it. Uh, what do you What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like their risks, uh, are, they seem to be very similar or outweigh the benefits, in my opinion. But it, it, it seems like it's more akin to alcohol to me, where it it produces uh, you know, intoxication and can be harmful. Too much of it, it's taken at one time. Yeah, it might produce a so, little buzz. I think alcohol is a good analogy. It produces a little buzz, um, like alcohol, uh, but just don't know what the effective amount is unless you're with, I guess, a mad honey expert. I know Joe Rogan used it on one of his uh, podcasts a while back. So some might have gathered it from uh, Joe Rogan's show. But um, yeah, I think both of us are opinion that just don't really understand the fuss around Mad Honey uh, and think it could be very dangerous. But you can purchase it on the internet. You, you go online and do a Google search and find it if it's something that uh, you wanted to be bold enough to try. But just know that there are health risks from it. And use the lowest use the lowest dose possible, and just slowly you know, increase it. I would be very cautious with it. Yeah. So next time um, we will be discussing kratom. We're going to talk about that for a while. Um, bring that topic up. An opioid like um, substance, which another thing you could buy legally in the United States, a lot of gas stations and internet on the internet. Um, we'll talk about whether it has any benefits and talk about the risks of that. Uh, as a reminder, this podcast is presented for educational informational purposes only. As licensed pharmacists, we do not advocate for the self-administration of products designed to be given only under medical supervision, nor do we recommend for or against the use of products listed as Schedule 1 under Drug Enforcement Administration guidance, nor do we recommend using prescription-only products that have not been prescribed to you by a licensed provider. We assume no responsibility for any legal repercussions that may occur to the individual after the use of federally listed substances. We have one more exciting announcement to make as we wrap up. The NeuroFarm podcast is joining the Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's going to be changes in how the podcast is distributed and what platforms it's available on. For those who have been longtime listeners, uh, we will update you on changes and how to listen as that rolls forward in the coming weeks. Feel free to reach out to cburns at neurofarm.net if you have any questions. But we hope this will make it easier to reach a much larger audience and easier to like and subscribe and connect with the larger network of other drug-related podcasts out there on the market. So we appreciate you all for listening. And again, we'll keep you updated on those changes. Chris and I are very excited to be part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you. Thank you.